Welcome to Ohio Matters. I'm Seth Richardson. I'm Mary Kilpatrick. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to the Cleveland Public Library for giving us the equipment and the space to record this podcast. We really appreciate that partnership with them. I think it's going great. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting service. We're on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, all of the major ones. So be sure to you know, give us some feedback because that really helps people see this podcast. And if you have any feedback, be sure to email me. I'm at srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on the show, we had Citizens for Community Values President Aaron Bayer. And um, yeah, it was a pretty interesting conversation. Who is this guy? Tell me about him. So Citizens for Community Values is a conservative evangelical organization. Um, you know, they, they're they a political advocacy group in a way they... They're anti-abortion. Um, they, you know, they're kind of a, a quote-unquote traditional marriage, you know, one man, one woman sort of group, and um, they're basically kind of the evangelical organization of Ohio. They used to be very big. They're kind of smaller now, but they they did have a forum with all of the Republican governors candidates just a couple of months ago. So they still have some influence here. And I think one of the reasons we wanted to have Aaron on was to kind of get into the mind of the evangelical. Um, not even just the evangelical voter, but the evangelical kind of politically active advocate in a way. Yeah, and Aaron's interesting too because uh, Phil Burris is very strongly associated with the Citizens for Community Values. He ran them for 25 years or so. Um, Aaron's around Seth and my age, actually Mary too, all of us. We're all kind of yeah. the millennial types here. But so uh, Aaron's kind of like a new voice. You know, he's articulating that point of view from maybe against, it, it cuts against the stereotypes, I guess, that all millennials are, socially liberal and secular and stuff. I mean, he's a Christian conservative guy. He's actually the journalism graduate from Ohio mm-hmm. U. So he's got, uh, you know, very strong training in communication. Like he's a savvy and interested consumer of political news. He's very politically minded and stuff like that. So we just thought he'd be an interesting person to come in and, and kind of talk about those issues from his point of view. I think this episode is also going to be a little slightly different from what people normally hear because we did instead of a lot of the times on this podcast what we do is we want to kind of go through the the history of something the you know we want to we want to tell the story and kind of try to figure out who someone is as a person and all that and I think with Aaron we got into a little more of this kind of philosophical you know what does it mean to be an evangelical why do evangelicals support this what what sort of drives the evangelical mind and uh, you know, we, we got into those things, which we haven't really done in a, a lot of other podcasts. Yeah, well, he's really. a young guy, so it's not gonna be like, hey, Aaron, tell us about the 90s yeah, and the Clinton you know. <laughs> years. He's like, well, you know, juice boxes, <laughs> like soccer practice. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's you know. kind of just part of that. But I know that when I started this podcast, I didn't think that a, a Bone Thugs and Harmony reference would kind of come so quickly, but yeah. alas, it did. So it that, did. that sort of uh, caught me off guard. It did. And um, and it was a good one, too. It's a good song. So we'll, we'll Is see. Is he into rap music? I guess we'll find out. Huh? I, yeah, we'll, we'll listen and find out. With that, let's listen to the interview that Andrew and I did with Aaron Bayer. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Seth. All right, so before we hop into some of the issues and some of the focus on your organization, we wanted to talk about your background. Uh, you're a pretty young guy, right? Yeah, 31. 31, that's, uh, that's pretty young. Tell, can you tell <laughs> us a bit about your upbringing? Yeah, so I'm from uh, Warren, Ohio, originally. Uh, so, uh, you know, Warren's kind of an inner city area. I uh, grew up uh, sort of in the church. My, my, my family and faith background uh, are a little hard to explain. Uh, Jewish family, uh, but both, 
my parents came to believe before I was born. So my dad actually became an American Baptist pastor. Uh, so we were raised in the church, but doing Jewish traditions. You know, we just had, my family just had a Passover Seder. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, when I was 13, there was a split in the family. My, my family split and my whole family kind of fell away from the church. And I've always kind of been, uh, especially when I was a kid, I was a rebellious kid. I was the one kid that got in trouble a lot. Uh, so I got in trouble with the law, ended up in court a couple times, uh, was not a believer by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but then a church got a hold of me and, uh, and really loved on me. Uh, I, was, I was that kid in high school. Um, there's no other way to put it. I was, I was the white kid that hung out, hung out with all the black kids, uh, you know, really into hip hop music, really into that culture, uh, and, uh, was, was really just kind of, you know, drug sex and, and hip hop music was, was my life, uh, before the church. And, uh, then a church got a hold of me and, uh, really loved on me, showed me God's love in a meaningful way. Uh, and that's, that's when I came to know the Lord and that's kind of what put me on the trajectory to, ending up leading an a organization that kind of spawned out of Focus on the Family and Dr. Dobson. Uh, I, I think if somebody would have told me back then, even when I first became a believer, that I'd be a social conservative, uh, you know, leading an organization like Citizens for Community Values, uh, I would have said, you're crazy. Uh, you know, my, my, I, was, I was raised to think these types of groups were bad and wrong. And um, yeah, just kind of a it's, a, it's a weird path that kind of led me uh, to here today. I'll say my, my first actual political activity was in 2004 when my mom pulled me out of class uh, to go canvas for John Kerry for president. Uh, so thankfully I wasn't very good at that uh, and he lost. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about what I'm doing today, but hopefully it, I got in a little better. Does that split still exist in your family to this day? Or? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, my, my, uh, my, uh, I'm close with, with all my family, but you know, my uh, sister is a, uh, and I'm sure she's, she's going to listen to this. She's a communist atheist uh, and and proud of it. Uh, and my my mom's incredibly liberal. Uh, but we just hung out yesterday. We they came over for or not yesterday Saturday. Uh, we we hung out and spent time. They watch my daughter all the time and still real close. Uh, but very very hard different political views and religious views. So it, it wasn't anything permanent where it was you know we're not talking to each other for the rest of our lives or anything like that. No, that, so that, that split, when I say the split, I, I say the split, I, I should have just said divorce. There was a divorce. My, my parents split, um, mm -hmm. but we always stayed close. You know what I mean? It was always close family ties, all those types of things. Very close with my brother and sister. Um, but it, I think it did give me a good perspective today, both on how uh, sort of the outside world views the outside world, people outside sort of the social evangelical uh, movement views evangelicals and social conservatives. Um, and also how the sort of liberal left views themselves and, and, and that inner uh, sort of inner workings there. So uh, it's, it's an interesting perspective on the work uh, that, that I try to bring to leading a group like CCB. And uh, what, at what age were you, you know, getting arrested? Was this high school? Yeah, high school age. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, the, all those types of things that, again, there's, there's some of it that's just normal high school rebellious kid. Uh, I think I push things a little too far. I'm, I'm, I'm hot or cold. So when I was, you know, not a believer, not, not a uh, social conservative, not a Christian conservative, uh, I was as far as the other side as can go. And then, uh, when, when I came to know the Lord, uh, you know, I would say it's a radical heart transformation that work of the Holy spirit. Uh, but, uh, but again, I just sort of went, went pursued that with everything I've got. 
and that's kind of defined my my life. And in in those short thirty one years, I feel you have Mike Dewine on here and Bill O'Neill before. They, they've got a little bit more to tell. Can you uh, can you tell us tell me a little bit about the church that you say kind of took you in and sort of showed you the way? Yeah, that was a it was a, a Baptist church. It used to be called Youngstown Baptist Church. It's now called Crossroads because for some reason all churches are changing their name to Crossroads right now. <laughs> um, which again, like that's. <laughs> I remember when I heard they were changing their name to Crossroads, I was like, oh, like the Bone Thugs song, right? Uncle Charles. <laughs> and yeah, I was going to say, I miss my Uncle Charles, but that wasn't what they were referencing, apparently. Uh, but uh, yeah, they uh, uh, th- that church was, it was just you know, sort of a normal Baptist church. And uh, I just like to say that um, they brought, and, and this is something that I, I try to keep in mind with, with our work, that I came to know Christ through his love, through, through his gospel. Uh, and if I had a, died and gone to glory that day i'd have gone to glory a pro-abortion pro-gay marriage believer you know what what matters is is believing in christ not not the issues the issues matter when you really started to dive into to god's word um but in terms of the the most important thing which we would say is you know salvation um it's just knowing christ and then you can sanctification takes us time uh so that church just they just loved on me as as much as i tried to push away and get away from them uh, I couldn't. And so I, I give them a, a, a whole lot of credit. And then, you know, just, I've got a curious side that said, okay, so what is, what does God's word actually say about life about, you know, more than just things like abortion and gay marriage, but, uh, how we engage with civil government and how we engage with people around us, how we engage with the poor and what does justice mean? Those types of issues. Uh, those things started to fascinate me. And as I began to dive into those things more and more, uh, I became convicted and actually found a calling in this work. And you ended up going to Ohio University, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Studying journalism? Studying journalism there. Uh, again, that kind of, I've kind of always had a contrarian streak. I, I, it's, it's both calling and sport, this type of work for us. You know, you, you, you go to OU and you go to the journalism school in particular, and you're uh, the one, you know, well, not the one, the two social conservatives, because I met my wife there as well. So we had a mutual bond uh, in, in the Scripps J School. Uh, for being the the two that said, well, is that really good? We were there during oh, sort of Obama mania in 2008 was our senior year. Uh, so that was a lot of fun in our journalism classes, you know, analyzing the, the different ways the media were, were covering that. That was the dawn of new media so much at that time. Um, so that, that made, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, all throughout, again, even that I was social conservative there, but I was bartending my way all through college and, um, you know, just loving those different types of environments. You know, I want to pull at that thread just a little bit. You you run a very politically active evangelical organization. Mm-hmm. That's not something typically that is associated with youth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the youth uh, report kind of higher numbers of secularism. Mm-hmm. So how how did this come about that, you know, you go from being, uh, you know, like you said, you were in the streets and everything getting mm-hmm. arrested, and, you know, you mentioned the church, but how, how do you go even one step further to being— kind of the lead of a of an evangelical organization yeah you know I, I think um, one of the things that stands out to me um, about uh, my time at OU was I, I was working at a uh, a homeless shelter at the time I was I was I was working at the bar but I, I did night shifts at a homeless shelter and I remember it was the only homeless shelter in all of Athens County called Good Works um, and they I remember being in a class and people talking about, uh, I'm going to oversimplify it, but the gist of it was, you know, Obama was going to come in and fix all the problems. And I remember looking around in my class and being like, I've never seen, I didn't say this because I didn't want to be a jerk, but I remember thinking to myself, 
I've never seen any of you guys at the at the homeless shelter before. I'm never, you're just waiting for the government to come in here and fix these problems. We should be fixing these problems. Uh, and and that and and the church in particular has a has a strong role in that. And so when I started looking into, uh, you know, how does the church engage with the state? How does the church serve the state and serve the public at large? Uh, I became really convicted on a, a lot of different issues, and not just your sort of classical social conservative issues, but a, a lot of others as well. Um, and so, yeah, th- that that was sort of what 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 dragged me into it. And and I also saw, I, you know, on on the flip side of that, I just had a lot of frustration with how I saw. Uh, the broader evangelical movement speaking to the next generation, just completely at times tone deaf um, and, and really not understanding where, uh, you know, my generation was coming from. Uh, but at the same time, having a good heart, I think that's gets lost a lot of times when people talk about the evangelical movement is, you know, I, I live and breathe in this community 24 seven and there are, are so many just good people in it that love the Lord, love this country, love their neighbors, and, and are you know pursuing the good is the best they know. You know, your organization was tied to Phil Burris for a mm-hmm. long time, and um, almost he almost played an outsized role in it. And I'm wondering, how do you take over for an organization who has such kind of a magnanimous character at the head of it, and still try to you know continue you know your mission? Yeah. No, you know, Phil is. Phil and I are still close. Actually, his daughter still works for the organization. Uh, so, you know, I what I said when I came in was that we're not changing the heart of CCV, um, the issues, the 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 core way we go about things, uh, the stances on things like gay marriage, that kind of thing. Um, that's not changing. Um, we're we're taking on new challenges, a new approach uh, for sort of a new generation, a new time. Um, so, so yeah, it, it is a. I think a lot of organizations um, like CCV, you just saw Focus on the Family go through this. You're seeing groups like Alliance Defending Freedom go through this, um, where you had organizations built around a personality. Uh, you see sort of a changing of the guard right now. A part of that is just generational, but also there's a little bit of it where, you know, you take Dr. Dobson, for example. Doc would get on the radio and talk to 20 million moms. Uh, in a day. You just don't have that anymore with what's going on with technology and media. Um, so it, it is a, it's a changing of the guard with replacing Phil. Um, in, but, it, but it's a, it's a difficult, it, it's, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. Um, it, it's, it's not as complex as you would think just because the culture is so radically different now than it was back then where one guy speaking out doesn't have as loud of a microphone as he used to. How did they choose you? I guess <laughs> I, I, that, that's kind of what I want to get, you know, because it's like Phil ran that organization for a while and it's like, how did they settle on? Yeah, Phil on, ran it for 25 years. Yeah. How, how do you settle on, okay, let's get this 30 year old, you know, guy in here to do it? Right? Uh, you know, I think one of the things was I came from an organization in Arizona. Uh, after I graduated from OU, I moved out to Arizona. Uh, I came from an organization in Arizona that has been doing this type of work and is one of the largest in the countries, uh, in the country, and is very effective and it's very public policy focused. And so I was, I left that organization before I went to work for the attorney general out there. I, I left there kind of as, as the number two. Uh, and so I got to see the inner workings of it. I got to see how they, they functioned. Uh, and so there was a lot of, there was a lot of draw there. Um, and I also think honestly, like, um, 
everyone, yeah, it, it's not a big secret. Everyone in the evangelical world, I think everyone in the journalism world too, is like, we got to get youth in here. We, we got to try something different. We like, we're, we, we've got to reach the next generation. Uh, we can all read the same Gallup polls. We can all look at what, what's happening culturally, politically, uh, and say, okay, we, we've got to find a way to, to, to get our message uh, and miss it, uh, mission to the next generation. So I think those two things in particular, uh, the experience I had at, at Center for Arizona Policy, uh, and just the reality that like you guys, what you guys are seeing, people in the evangelical community are seeing too, of like, okay, how are we going to get this passed on to our kids and our grandkids? Uh, that's something that everyone's questioning right now in evangelical churches. You mentioned that the evangelical movement didn't do a good, you know, a very good job beforehand of uh, reaching out to youth. Mm-hmm. What, what were they doing wrong? Um, you know, there, there's a there's a few things, and and I think most people would would acknowledge this. One, um, you know, a, a lot of times it was we easily got defined on what we were against, not what we're for. Um, you know, we are. I, I remember one uh, megachurch pastor out in uh, Phoenix put it this way that, you know, for, for evangelical Christians, we're, we're not the home team anymore. Um, you know, culture in some ways accelerated um, just so quickly in the last 20 years um, in, in to the left. Uh, and uh, I think a lot of the evangelical movement, we were speaking in a way and in a context that was just going by people. Uh, you know, I I remember, um, you know, one of the biggest issues that we work on at CCV is religious freedom. We want to ensure the church is free to be the church, both in worship and work and, and just how they raise their families. Um, and I remember doing uh, a focus group work one time and asking, you know, we, we see very serious threats to religious freedom today. I, I would, I can make the case out for that. But uh, I remember doing a focus group and asking people, you know, do you think there's threats to religious freedom today. And everybody was like, no, what are you talking about? I can go to church. I got religious freedom. Um, and that's kind of a, a core example of, you know, we're talking about religious liberty and people are like, no, I can go to church. And we're like, well, religious freedom is so much more than just your ability to go to church. Uh, and, and that just kind of shows our, our one that we're talking past people. Uh, I think other things too, we, we drew what I would say are, are I don't want to call them arbitrary, but just lines at places that in how we communicated about things. And I'm, I'm a journalism major, I'm big, big on communication. And so I remember uh, coming in and being told, like, uh, when I first started working in this world, it was a big culture shock for me. And I remember being told it's, it's we should say same-sex marriage, and you have to put marriage in quotes, because we don't want to admit there's something other than marriage itself, marriage between a man and a woman. Um, and I was like, yeah, but that's cumbersome. And let's just say gay marriage and move on so we can talk about things and get to the roots of the issues that we're trying to talk about. And there were things there. So there, that sounds like a little thing. But, you know, when, when you're trying to convey something, you're trying to have a, a meaningful conversation about what's the meaning and purpose of marriage, both as a public policy matter and as a spiritual matter. Uh, it's a it's a big deal to just be able to get to the point. And, and it, to me, it was sort of emblematic of some of the issues I saw internally about how we were relating and trying to uh, communicate our message. How many members do you have in your organization? Oh man, uh, we, we're, we're not technically a membership organization. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're primarily based down in Cincinnati, um, but we've got 
people, I mean, the marriage amendment that Phil led in 2004, that's what kind of put us statewide. Mm. Uh, and, and then the 2006 uh, initiative that they ran on uh, the, the regulating strip clubs. Um, both of those initiatives really helped us grow statewide. And so, and then since I've moved the office up to Columbus, we've been able to reach out a lot more there. So it, it's, uh, we, we don't have like membership dues or those types of things. So evangelicalism is normally associated with kind of the Bible Belt in the South. Uh, why do you think a group like yours is able to survive or even thrive, however you want to put it, in a place like Ohio? Man, Ohio is, Ohio's a blast. I love Ohio, uh, both culturally and politically. Um, you know, there's parts of Ohio that are as uh, conservative and as, you know, Alabama or Mississippi, uh, you know, the, the rural areas. And, and it's funny, like they're, they'll be like 20 minutes outside of uh, Columbus or Cleveland. You know what I mean? I, I think about growing up in Youngstown and you drove 30 minutes north and you're in Ashtabula, Amish country. Um, and so that that's, uh, I, I think Ohio has a lot more uh, conservatives in it than people realize. Um, it's, it's, I think it's why Ohio is continually the swing state. Um, because it's, it's so emblematic of the rest of the country where you have just these stark contrasts of, you know, hyper liberal leftist inner cities, um, and then extremely conservative rural areas within half an hour of each other. So this is kind of a trope. People like to say that Cincinnati is like a southern city, you know, within a, a state that's diverse, like you're saying. Um, Columbus is getting kind of the reputation of moving to the left, I think, sort of over the last 25 years or so. So what, why did you guys choose to move there? Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, the state house is there. So we want to have a larger presence at the state house. When I came in, we had one registered lobbyist at the state house. Today, we have four. Um, you know, we, we see that as our primary mission field uh, and where we primarily do our work is is at the state house um, and so uh, you know it's it, it's hard to do that from Cincinnati um, and also too we really want to be a statewide organization uh, we want to reach up into all corners of the state so I'm in Toledo once a month I'm in Cleveland once a month uh, I'm you know literally I'm in Cincinnati probably once a week um, and it's it's all about reaching out and, and building out the base. I, I think, I mean, you guys are, are kind of touching on this a little bit. Like we've, you know, we've got to build our numbers up. Um, and I would say that primarily starts in the church, um, to, to sustain what Phil had built, uh, long-term. Before we move on, I do want to touch on something real quick. Sure. Your group is listed as a hate group, right? The Southern <laughs> Poverty Law Center. I mean, I think you knew we had to touch yeah, on this. No, right? of course. Yeah. Um, because of your group's views on kind of some LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I'm wondering, what do you think of this designation? I think it's a joke. Uh, I, I think the Southern Poverty Law Center is uh, an amazing propaganda organization. Uh, you know, they, they they raised, you know, they have $300 million in offshore bank accounts. I, I they have for an organization that raises so much money. I don't know what they do other than name call uh, and kind of try to incite anger against people. Um, you know, I think uh, the I, I always use the comparison like you know the ACLU raises a lot of money, uh, but both when I was in Arizona and when I was here in Ohio, I see the ACLU around. They do a lot of activity. They're bringing lawsuits. They're they're doing stuff. I don't know what the Southern Poverty Law Center is doing other than calling people names. Um, and the, the big thing that I, I, when I'm speaking at churches a lot, I'll say, listen, they called us, the SPLC has called us a hate group because we believe the same things you do. You're, you're, the vast majority of the churches in Ohio 
believe the same things we do about marriage and sexuality. Uh, and that is the sole reason why they've, that the SPLC has called us a hate group. And so, uh, if, if CCV is a hate group by, by that definition, then so is, you know, a, a large chunk of Ohio. And I think that that just kind of shows, uh, the absurdity of what they're doing. Um, and, and kind of the, they, they represent in my mind the worst parts of our culture, um, which is if you disagree with me on this issue, um, that's by all means, an, uh, you know, an issue that has reasonable disagreement on, uh, then you are hate filled. And that's just a joke. Do you think all of their ratings are jokes? I mean, cause they also track, right? No, that, well, yeah. that's, they tra- track white supremacy groups. KKK groups, sorry to cut you off there. Um, no, th- I mean, that's what's so brilliant about their strategy is that they, you know, they collect all of these uh, groups on, they, they make these hate groups over here and then they say, and this group is just like these guys. And anybody can look at that. If you take a critical eye, you're like, no, there's something very different about saying we believe in, uh, you know, sexuality should be constrained to marriage between a man and a woman. Uh, sex should be constrained between marriage and a woman and saying black people shouldn't be allowed to use our water fountain or use our bathroom. That, I mean, that's, that's just a, again, like people know the difference there. Uh, but SPLC does a very great job of, uh, putting those labels on. And every time I've, you know, we, we've got to talk about something they're like, Oh, that's the, aren't you guys the hate group? I guess the other, the natural follow-up to that is why is say they make that designation because of your guys' stance on LGBT issues. Mm -hmm. Why is your stance on LGBT issues any different from say an organization that doesn't support interracial marriage or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I think there's a, there's a, a, a vast difference, uh, between, uh, interracial marriage and marriage between a man and a woman, you know, a, a man and a woman, uh, can do something, can produce something that only a man and a woman can do. Interracial, there's, you know, what doesn't matter your skin color, you can still do the same things. Uh, you know, there's a vast difference there uh, between interracial marriage and, and, and gay marriage there. Uh, you know, and I think, again, like that's just one of those things that I think your average person would look at and be like, yeah, obviously. I got an email a couple weeks ago from the I believe it was the Republican Governors Association and the Ohio Republican Party. And what they were doing was they were trying to tie uh, Louis Farrakhan, who is also listed as, you know, his group is listed as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and trying to tie, you know, Sherrod Brown, and we've seen him do it with other politicians nationwide. And I'm curious what you think of the Republicans kind of using this strategy the same as you say, you know, liberals might use this strategy against you. Well, again, I think that would be a little bit different. Uh, Again, I I haven't seen that, that email um, but you know, it, the SPLC is trying to group us together with them. I, I know there's a lot of liberals that will go and willingly associate with Farrakhan. You know, we outright condemn, you know, white supremacy in all its forms, racism in all its forms. Again, I think it's funny that I'm Jewish, uh, ethnically, and they're calling us a hate group. Um, you know, that, that's just kind of a, a an absurdity uh, about what they do. Um, but there, you see some on the left embracing Farrakhan and Farrakhan's an outspoken anti-Semite. Uh, and, and he, sh- again, he should be condemned. A lot of the groups on the SPLC's website, they should be condemned, uh, and they should be recognized as hate-filled organizations. Um, but there's a, there's a stark difference, I think, be- between those two. What's the line? I guess that's where I'm trying to kind sure. of find out. Where, where is the line? Like, you know what I mean? Well, no, I, I think again, like it's, it's, if you're, and, and we're going to have to dive deeper into this to, to really get into it. But, uh, you know, 
as Christians, for example, we would say that uh, all all people are born image bearers of God. Um, and when you're denying that dignity uh, from somebody as an image bearer of God, uh, then you're that's that's where I would say you're being hateful, and that's what you see white white supremacy groups doing, saying that you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, and as a policy, again, we, we can get into what the policy issues actually are behind marriage. That's fundamentally different um, than than what the uh, white supremacy groups do all the time, which is trying to again degrade, say you are lesser than human for that. We are not denying the humanity of LGBT individuals in any sense. They deserve full dignity, full protection under law, all of those things. We, we wholeheartedly believe that. I think that's the fact that we have to, the, the fact that we're having this discussion right here shows the failure in the evangelical community of communicating that, of communicating lovingly uh, and respectfully to the LGBT community. And I'll even go so far as to say that, you know, is it, you know, I, I want to say, our stance on LGBT issues are not based in hate, but I would be wrong if I didn't acknowledge that there are some people sitting in evangelical pews on Sundays that genuinely have malice in their heart towards the LGBT community, and that's wrong, and we need to root that out. Um, but just having the position that you believe marriage is between man, a man and a woman um, is not a hate-filled position whatsoever. And, and again, we can get into the actual policy reasonings behind that or all those things, but um, I think that's an important distinction. get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make difficult decisions that often result in hunger. But you can help with the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. Donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. So, Citizens for Community Values, let's look at their agenda. They have been anti-LGBT. They have been anti-porn. They have been anti-gay marriage. Uh, They have some viewpoints on transgender people that are fairly controversial. You guys gave this this guy a platform to talk about some of these issues, and I'm curious, why does he hold these viewpoints, and how does he justify them? So I, I think they kind of both go back to his religious faith. Um, you know, it is a traditional teaching of the church that uh, marriage is, I mean, you know, we could get into this, so we're not going to have a theological discussion on the show, but it's just it's a traditional cr- Christian viewpoint. It, it emanates from his religious upbringing, I think, is, is what he would answer that, that question directly. And again, I think part of the reason that we wanted to have him on here wasn't just to, so, you know, he could make a pitch to anybody or anything like that. It was more so that we could kind of understand where he's coming from, because it is a large voting block in the Republican Party. And you don't, you know, a lot of the times you hear 
just kind of the bullet points. Well, they believe this, this, and this, and that's what it is. And I do think it did offer some insight into, um, you know, like I said, how the evangelical mind sort of works, where it comes from, and what the what the worldview is there. I think something interesting, and this is kind of one of my big takeaways from this interview, was that he expressed an interest in kind of broadening the evangelical agenda beyond like, you know, looking at people's sex lives or whatever the, you know, the stereotype is going to be, you know what I mean? And expressed an interest in looking into more, like he mentioned human trafficking or eventually he mentioned payday lending. But then he kind of, we asked him about his policy agenda and he went straight to the transgender bathroom bill. And so I do think that, uh, just kind of from a um, practical standpoint, I think a lot of his his career is kind of being uh, there's a, there's a conflict that he deals with between um, reacting to what he and other religious conservatives view as sort of like a cultural abandonment and or attack on their religious views, with not wanting to be defined by that stuff and saying oh like we're going to be marginalized if we just only talk about these narrow things and people don't listen to us anymore. So I you know I don't know that there's a simple answer to that question, but that's kind of what we were drilling down into. With that, let's listen to more of the interview with Aaron Bayer. So you mentioned earlier, you know, you read Gallup polls and that kind of stuff. So, and you just alluded to this, you know, over the last 50 years, you've seen like a move towards secularism in American society. Um, you see some of the big social issue fights that have played out. And yeah, you guys in 2004, you know, won the, the same-sex marriage amendment in Ohio, but then you had the Supreme Court, kind of the big one, you know, overturning pretty, mm-hmm. all of them nationwide. Yeah. Um, so it seems like you're losing a, a like a consistent losing fight. Is that true? Um, it, it depends on on the issue. You know, I think you look at uh, on the on the marriage side, and absolutely, like we 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 lost that in the courts. Now, I think it's important to note that we had a 31 and 0 marriage amendments had a 31 and 0 record, um, and you had millions of people vote for marriage between a man and a woman, and then you had five Supreme Court justices overturn all those millions of votes. Um, so I think that's an important, that that shouldn't get lost in this discussion. I also think, just as an aside, I think everybody should be concerned about the idea that millions of people voted for something and then five people, really one person in Kennedy, five people overturned those millions of votes. That should, people, all, I think I hear a lot of hyperbole today about our democracy. That actually does threaten our democracy. Um, but then, you know, you look at other issues, you take the abortion issue, for example, and I think we've got the wind, you know, the wind behind us right now, pushing us forward. You see in the last eight years in Ohio, the abortion rate has dropped uh, by 25 percent. We've cut the number of abortion clinics in Ohio by more than half. Uh, you know, you, you really are seeing progress here. And we, we, you know, even though Kasich vetoed it, we got the heartbeat, heartbeat bill on his desk. You know, that's that is real progress uh, on on a sort of core social conservative issue, I think, on other things like. Uh, school choice, you see, uh, and parental rights and, and, and parental empowerment, you're seeing uh, some good progress there. So, you know, on th- there's there's certainly some issues that we're uh, we've been losing on politically. Uh, to your broader point, though, culturally, absolutely, I think you know, the culture has turned against us in a major way uh, against people of faith, against Christians in the church. Do you think that? as you point to maybe abortion being a more, you know, favorable issue for you guys, do you think that speaks to maybe, um, abortion's obviously very divisive, but just pick something. Like, do you think that that speaks to maybe that you guys as a movement are need to prioritize things differently? No, but I think there's, well, well 
I don't want to say no because you could you could say that a lot of different ways, but I, I think there's lessons to learn from that. Where in the abortion movement, um, I think you'll see, I, I can kind of tell a story of how we started fighting for, first off, for the, the unborn child, but also for women, um, and, and started making our, our arguments about that instead of stop coming after my rights. You know, this is, this is my right. This is what I believe. Protect me. To we started arguing for the vulnerable. Um, when we're in a position of defending others, um, that puts us in a much better position. Uh, I, and, and I, quite honestly, that's kind of a core Christian tenet um, is to pour yourself out for others. Um, and so, you know, go figure. The Bible has some good wisdom in it. So you even kind of would hear this within the church that there's this stereotype that Christians, and then I guess by extension, the, the Christian right politically are obsessed with sex. Um, <laughs> obviously, there are, there are issues that go beyond things that are politically divisive, even just in the area of, you know, social justice or um, to just more being about social equity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do, do you feel like there's oversized emphasis placed on, you know, on social issues? Um not necessarily. It's funny to me when I hear people say that the evangelical community is obsessed with sex. One, I mean, you go into any of your major Protestant churches today or, or Catholic churches, you're going to be hard-pressed to hear a message on things like gay marriage or even sex outside of marriage uh, or, or anything like pornography, those types of things. It's you're, you're, you, There's a stereotype that just doesn't exist. One of the things we do is we actually try to encourage churches to, hey, you have to address these issues culturally. Um, you know, what I would say is if it really doesn't take much to look around and say, no, really it's the culture that's obsessed with sex. Uh, you know, you always hear sex sells, you know, you can't turn on a TV show, uh, that isn't based around a sort of sexual tension. My, my, my wife and I watch a new girl a lot. And like, we were just talking about it the other day, like every single episode of that show is just who are you going to sleep with in this episode? Are you going to sleep with someone in this episode? Like, you know, to, to, to say that it's the church that's obsessed with sex, I, I just don't see it. Really, you see the church responding to a sexual revolution that started about 50 years ago uh, and trying to provide uh, hope, really refuge for people that have been hurt and harmed by the sexual revolution. That's why a lot of times you see groups like us talking about this issue, because we see it as something that's harming and hurting people quite a bit. And I think as time goes on, we'll see those things more and more. So you said earlier that you feel like maybe the evangelical movement didn't do a good job communicating what they're for. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if you're kind of feeling besieged by the culture, it can be easy to be kind of uh, to basically to react to that kind of stuff. So what, what, yeah. what's I guess in your mind, what's the path forward for actually kind of uh, articulating more of like a positive proactive vision as opposed to just reacting to kind of what you're you know, yeah. getting? Yeah, no, I, I think I think you've you've touched on a few th- things there first. Um, you know, uh, I, I always say this, that, you know, if, if I was in those position 10, 20, 30 years ago, I'm not going to sit here and say, I wouldn't have made the same decisions in terms of let's, you know, let's, let's run this strategy. Let's approach it like this. Like, you know, it's, it's too easy to try to Monday morning quarterback, those types of things. But I think going forward, I I say a lot, we, we need to focus much more on the, the why we believe what we believe, not the what we believe. You take something like gay marriage. 62% of Ohioans uh, voted for marriage between a man and a woman in 2004. We're not 15 years later. I mean, the last poll, I mean, they don't even really poll this anymore, but the last polling I saw was 2013 or 2014, and it showed that was, you know, probably 52 or 53 support gay marriage. 
Um, and I always come back to, you, you don't see that type of radical flip in the polls if it was, if there was deep understanding of the issue. Um, and I think a lot of our focus on how we communicate things is, is this is what we believe, not why we believe it. Um, and, and you see the consequence of that today. Um, I also think too, but I, I, I think you might've been alluding to this a little bit. I think we need to be willing to broaden our issue set a little bit and talk about other issues, talk about justice issues, uh, talk about things like human trafficking, talk about things like the opioid epidemic, uh, try to find places of common ground. Uh, you know, I remember I, I actually was, I was sitting in the committee hearing for the, what I would call the anti-religious freedom bill that the ACLU is supporting house bill 160 next to the ACLU's lobbyist. Um, and we started talking about how, Hey man, do you realize that every single committee hearing room in the Ohio state house has cameras in it? Uh, and they don't broadcast all of these committee hearings. Why is that? That is a complete waste of, you know, good resources there and good government of just transparency and letting people see what's going on down here. Uh, and there's things like that of just good, transparent government, responsive government to the people, uh, that, you know, we, we're going to be supportive of that we think is just makes for good responsive government. So what are some of your policy priorities right now then? Uh, first and foremost, I mentioned it, it's house bill 160. Um, this is a, the bill that, uh, basically would require, uh, that, uh, men be allowed in women's restrooms if they identify as a, as a woman. Uh, this is a bill that would force private business owners to participate and communicate messages, um, for, you know, gay weddings or those types of things that violate their sincerely held beliefs that the, it's, it deals with sort of like the masterpiece cakes case in, uh, Colorado that's before the U S Supreme court. Um, this is the bill that, you know, is kind of a plaintiff's lawyer's dream in that it says, you know, you can't fire someone because they're, they're gay or trans. Well, how do you know if someone's gay or trans a lot of times? And it just sort of opens up the door for more frivolous lawsuits against businesses. Um, stopping this legislation is at the top of our priority list. Um, because we see it as having a devastating effect on both, uh, well, not just on both, on a lot of people, on families, on churches, on ministries, on businesses, just on the state in general. Uh, so that's top priority. Um, we're also working right now on a campus free speech act, uh, just to make sure there's a leveling level playing field on university campuses. I think we've all seen the sto uh, stories where, um, you know, conservative speakers, but we also have some stories where liberal students have been forced off of campus, uh, by campus administrators. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, the campus university officials stay content neutral in their enforcement of policies. Um, classic pro-life issues like the heartbeat bill um, that, that we're uh, supporting. Um, things like, uh, obviously, the Down syndrome bill has already been passed. Um, we're working on some school choice issues as well. Um, to, to We'd love to get to a place where parents really have the ability to direct the, you know, that they have access to whatever education be, uh, option best suits their family. Uh, so those types of things. And then we're working on a bill, big bill we're drafting right now is dealing with this case out of Cincinnati where uh, the county pulled a child from parents' custody solely because the parents wouldn't consent to the kid uh, getting transgender hormone therapy. Um, and uh, we want to say, no, you can't pull a kid to put them on experimental drugs. Um, and and we're at also, as we're researching this issue more and more, we're seeing some things that we're tying into this bill uh, that, uh, you know, the National Education Association, the NEA, is actually instructing public schools to, if a child shows up and says they're gender dysphoric, uh, to not tell parents that their child's doing that, uh, that their child is saying they're gender dysphoric. Um, and so we're going to put parental notification in there and say, listen, 
if a kid's coming up and saying this, you have you can't keep this information from the parents. Um, NEA, the NEA is actually instructing parents to say, if the kids comes in and they don't want to tell their parents, let them come to you know mom drops off Billy. Billy goes into the principal's office. The principal office the principal gives them a dress and makeup and they can get changed. They can spend the day as Susan at school. Then at the end of the day, they can take off the makeup, take off the dress, put their t-shirt and jeans back on and go back out to their mom and the parents are ne- never the wiser. That is wrong no matter what you think about the tr- about the LGBT issues. The fact that for a school to be able to pull, withhold that type of information from a parent is unethical and just wrong in all forms. So that's a lot. We're, we're trying to take on a lot of issues, but um, there's, a, there's a, a lot of harvest out there for us. So how would you explain if, uh, if I were a transgender man and I'm not, but if you would look at, and you, and there obviously there are transgender men, you wouldn't know looking at them. So mm-hmm. just it could very well be me. And I want to go use a men's bathroom. And then the upshot of that policy is that I couldn't, I'd have to go in a woman's bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. so what, what do you tell a transgender person if you're trying to be compassionate, like you said, and explain why it is that you are supporting these policies? Right. Well, well, the upshot of that policy is what we have right now, which is we don't have any regulation on bathrooms. Um, but at the end of the day, if there's an environment where uh, a man is walking into a woman's restroom, a biological male is walking into a woman's restroom and is threatening the uh, sort of privacy rights of the women, uh, business owners or schools or uh, ministries have the ability to say, no, you need to use the biologically appropriate restroom. Um, I think, you know, th- this is where we have a, a, a warped view of of what it means to be human today, what it means, what, what dignity means today, telling someone that you're biologically, factually structured in a certain way is not denying their dignity. You know what I mean? We, we, we know there's sort of anatomical differences between men and women. And uh, the Supreme Court has found time and time again that those differences are real and we need to be able to protect the privacy and safety rights of, of men and women. Uh, so, you know, I would say, and I have said, because I've, I've sat down with transgender individuals before and had these conversations, um, they're not easy ones. Um, and I understand there's a lot of hurt and pain there, um, but that doesn't change biological realities. Um, and, and to say that that's, that confessing biological realities is denying dign- dignity, again, I think is kind of far out there. And I, I think most people would understand that. So I'll just kind of frame some background here, and this is just kind of for our listeners, but uh, Wes Goodman was a uh, former state representative who resigned last year. He, the immediate reason for his resignation was that he was, um, I guess, uh, admitted to having a, a sexual encounter with a man in his office. And then it came out subsequent to that, that a year before that or so, that it was known that he'd had kind of more of like, I guess, a non-consensual sexual uh, encounter with with another man um, in uh, in Washington D.C. So this was something that was kind of known about him, and then ultimately led to his resignation. He straight married Christian conservative man, or mm-hmm. that's how his political persona mm-hmm. was. So, and you know all this, but what I wanted to ask you though is kind of what's what's your take as that kind of individually, and, and what's CCV's take on that as as an organization? Man, uh, individually, uh, it it still honestly hurts. Um, Wes was a friend. Um, I, I haven't talked to him since it, since it all came out. Um, uh, we were there was uh, lies there. I I'll I'll just say like in the past year, this past year has been kind of baptism by fire in in sort of the the uh, the the 
big time political world and, and i'm not saying this is big time in this sense but like when, when you're kind of out on your own now and before i was the number two and now i'm leading an organization but in the last you know six months really i've had two guys that i considered friends that were both outspoken christian conservatives that were right here with me in in, in the work and I, I had a lot of respect for it come out that they were having affairs um one was a guy in in arizona that i i my first legislative session was his first legislative se- session he was uh a uh, state representative who was running for congress who lost uh, or it came out that he was you know what came out was that there was text messages that he was having with other women that weren't his wife with like topless photos that kind of thing and then wes um so personally it just it just kind of knocks you on your butt where you're like man this these are friends and and um guys that i had a lot of respect for and both of them were incredibly talented um they they had you know both they, they had the world ahead of them you know i think if, if this didn't happen with with uh wes you know i bet you would see wes in this uh congressional Dif- district 12 con- congress race right now to repra- replace replacing pat Berry. but he just threw it all away and same thing with steve montenegro in, in arizona just kind of throwing it all away and i think it is just kind of a testimony to what power and um what power can do to you and what happens when when we don't protect ourselves and and uh are wise with how we uh go about our days so i wish i could i wish there was like more definitive statement i could make there but it just sucks and it it hurts when it happens to friends and it doesn't happen when it not, didn't happen to them they did it and it's stupid and they should be better and we need to be better um and it's it's frustrating and it's yeah was do you think that was a setback for your cause when people from the outside would look at that and think oh well you know basically west Goodman was being hypocritical by by living a different lifestyle privately than the one he's advocating for on a public level yeah setback i, I don't know if i'd call it a setback it, it, it's a blow i guess i, I don't know we're semantics it, it it sucks I don't, like that's all i could say like it, it's stupid and we need to be better and um yeah it, it really does feed into the worst stereotypes it, it feeds into the worst stereotypes the same way that you see people you know getting out there and being angry about our issues feeds into the worst stereotypes um that and, and it, it doesn't do good for the movement and to, to the church that i care so much about so we're kind of like drilling down into individual issues and stuff like that but yeah. So, you know, we, we, we were talking about, you know, what are issues that you think that you can focus on? And you mentioned the transgender bathroom thing. You also mentioned, you know, the opioid crisis. You mentioned human trafficking and stuff like that. So I'm just curious. And, and um, as far as the, the issues that you don't get into, you know, there's another one that obviously the Catholic Church is very much against uh, capital punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not something as far as I know that you guys are outspoken about. So how, how do you kind of choose, you know, your priorities when it comes to those types of issues. Yeah, we, we have a board uh, that uh, that in terms of like, if, if I want to take on a new issue, I've got to go to the board and talk to them about where we are both evangelical and Catholic uh, in our sort of in our work. So my board chair is a Catholic, um, probably in total, my board's about one third Catholic. Um, so we want to work with uh, with both evangelical and Catholic churches. Um, and so we, we try to find areas like that that we're very we have agreement on. I would be I'm generally supportive of the death penalty of capital punishment, um, but that's personally the organization doesn't really get get into that. Uh, and so um, yeah, really with with things like that, I've got to go to them and say, hey, let's let's jump in on this. You know, I, I 
quite frankly, um, issues I like to talk about. I'd like to see us get involved more with payday lending and the opposition to payday lending. I see that as usury, and to speak in biblical terms, uh, but sort of exploitation of the poor. Um, so what's the path to get to something like that then when, again, we're talking about, you know, transgender bathrooms and just, again, like the more sort of uh, the, the social issues as opposed to the more broad-based policy ones? Well, see, that's that's what's uh, beautiful about it is that I don't want CCV to be a social issues group. I want CCV to be a gospel-centered group. Um, and we think, you know, I, I would say the Bible and God's word is good news for all of life. It speaks to a lot of different issues. Um, and now... We also go where there's need. And so, quite honestly, on things like transgender bathrooms, um, on things like religious freedom, um, a lot of times if we don't speak on it, no one does because these issues are controversial. People are afraid to speak out on them because you see the backlash, what happens when you speak out on them. You get labeled a hate group, all of those types of things. Um, so we want to be... we. we certainly do not have endless resources um, and we want to be very judicious with them in terms of where can we make the most impact um, with our time uh, and talent and uh, and we see these issues in particular as an area of, of great need um, that, that needs a voice like CCV. So as you mentioned, evangelicals are a very important voting block in Ohio and across the country. I'm curious to know, what's this guy's politics? When he's talking to politicians, when he's lobbying folks or his group is lobbying folks, who are the people that he supports? What are the causes that he supports? How do these people or how does this group uh, fit into Ohio politics? One of the more interesting points of this discussion is I don't think it's any secret that the evangelical vote is largely Republican. They're going to support Republicans probably 99 times out of 100. That's just kind of the way that they've aligned over the years. Or maybe it's the way that the Republicans have aligned themselves. I don't know, whichever way you want to look at it. But we did talk to Aaron about, you know, what what would it take for him to support a Democrat? And, um, you know, what does he think of... Republicans who maybe come to these groups and pay some lip service. I mean, we, you know, we got into a discussion about what's the matter with Kansas, which is a bit of an old book, but, you know, the thesis of it basically is uh, Republicans and conservatives have uh, paid lip service to, you know, wedge issues and then just use those to get elected and then not necessarily, you know, done anything for them. And I think that was probably one of the more interesting parts of this discussion. You know, we got into some of the Donald Trump stuff, you know, the Stormy Daniels affair, which a lot of people have said, well, where are evangelicals on this? Why are they not denouncing a guy who, you know, allegedly cheated on his wife after the birth of their son with a pornographic actress? And he was he was surprisingly very critical of the president in that regard. Yeah, I think that he was trying to articulate the idea, at least, that the church and or the religious-oriented conservative movement politically shouldn't completely tie themselves to one guy because at that point you become completely beholden to the, I guess, flaws of one guy. And in the president's case, obviously, uh, it's pretty well documented what some of his moral challenges are from from that point of view. Mm. So I don't know if we were expecting him. I guess we're sort of preparing for him to defend Trump I, yeah, a little bit I, Frankly, more. I, was, I was kind of ready for him to go to bat for Donald Trump. Um, we've seen evangelicals really do that kind of nationwide. And, you know, he said something that uh, I, I don't think I've heard any other evangelical say is, hey, we can pray. I mean, really, it's, it goes for 
any sort of group and any sort of politician is, hey, we can praise this guy when he does good and we can criticize him when he does bad. And it's like, it's almost refreshing because you never hear anyone from really any group kind of say that but anymore. You, I mean, you do hear that, but maybe not in a position of like advocacy that yeah. he occupies almost being like a, somewhat of a partisan role, whether yeah. or not he views it that way, that's sort of worth the space that that group occupies. So no, I know that you mentioned you chatted with him a little bit about what it would take for him to support a Democrat. How could he or, or would he kind of, I guess, compromise some of his uh, moral high ground uh, if he were to support a Democrat? Would he ever? It didn't sound like he would compromise. He wouldn't compromise any of his values is basically what he said. Now, he said that a lot of, you know, Democratic positions, frankly, line up with a lot of his values. You know, there were, you know, there's some that are going to be at odds, of course. Uh, But what he said is, what he basically said is that, yeah, you know, it's kind of gone toward the polls on some of these issues where, yeah, they're just, they're not in the ballpark, especially, you know, when you consider that some of the main issues for CCV are the uh, transgender bathroom stuff and, um, you know, being anti-abortion and some of the religious freedom stuff, which isn't necessarily as controversial in the Democratic Party or anything, but I think you'd you'd face some general backlash to you know some of the uh, religious quote unquote religious freedom bills. So I don't know if he necessarily said that a Democrat has to think like me before I'll support him. Like has to be one hundred percent in line with me. As I think he just kind of realized that there was a gulf there that might not be filled anytime soon. Did he talk at all or did you get a sense of where evangelicals stand on Trump right now? I know that you said that he personally um, criticized the president for some alleged moral indiscretions with a pornographic actress. Um, evangel- I mean, the latest polling has shown that evangelicals, they're still standing by Trump. Uh, evangelical women are fleeing a little bit, at least from some of the polling numbers. I think he gave counter response to what you hear a lot of because you mentioned like Roy Moore and uh, the election down in Alabama and where people were still supporting this guy despite all kinds of allegations and 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 not sort of saying what they mean and you know he was he was very frankly he was very critical of Trump for possibly cheating on his wife yeah so he can't speak for every evangelical but you can kind of read between the lines and you could see that it was a frustrating conversation for him to have. And so you kind of got that sense from from talking to him. With that, let's listen to the rest of the interview with Aaron Baer. Coming up with the question list today, I, I got to kind of wondering something. You had a forum with the Republican candidates for governor. What was it, almost nine months ago, right around uh, there? It was October. So October, okay, yeah. about six months ago. Yeah. And you also invited the Democratic candidates, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. So none of them showed up. Showed. <laughs> Probably not very surprisingly because... Um, evangelical vote is kind of considered a Republican base vote now. Yeah. But I'm wondering, you know, you did invite the Democrats. Yeah. And I'm curious, can you name a de- like a Democratic politician that would sort of, you could see your group supporting? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be Ohio or anything like that. I'm just yeah. wondering, like, what what's the kind of Democratic mold? That, right. You know? So so I, I'll just say, um, disclosure, CCV is a 501c3 organization. Mm. We cannot endorse candidates. But... Just to your, to, to more to your point, in terms of me personally, um, or our, our, our C4 and PAC, you know, I, I would see, it's one of the things I love about Ohio, especially uh, Northeast Ohio, um, is that I, I could see us supporting a, a candidate up here that is socially conservative across the board. You go into, uh, especially like where I'm from, uh, in, in Warren and Youngstown, you have a lot of pro-life, pro-marriage and family, individuals, families, 
that that are registered Democrats. You know what I mean? They they're they're they worked at the GM plant their whole life and and those types of things. So they they they're they, they go along with their the union vote. Um, so I could see us supporting a candidate like that if, if the context was right. Um, that that we saw them as as the best option to advance life. I was really encouraged. Uh, now again, I think he's completely off on things like marijuana and. Uh, postings on Facebook left a lot to be desired and were wrong. And Bill O'Neill, that he came out and said he was pro-life. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him actually announce support for the heartbeat bill. That would that would say a lot. But I, I, I think t- to your question, Seth, is you know I, CCV re- really haven't changed much, but I think you're seeing a greater polarization uh, in the parties where, uh, you know, not too long ago, people like, I think it was Keith Ellison, the head of the DNC, said there's no room for pro-life Democrats in the party and Nancy Pelosi kind of came back at him for that. But like, that's the biggest disappointment to me is that, you know, that, that these issues are becoming partisan. Cause I don't, I don't think things like life and marriage and family need to be in religious freedom to, for that matter. But, um, yeah. Do you, do you ever see yourselves as like, do you back yourself into a corner? You kind of touched on it. You know, when you do focus on like the issues of, um, you know, abortion and you focus mm-hmm. on LGBT issues and um, probably less so to, you know, religious freedom issues mm-hmm. or anything like that. Do you back yourself into a corner to not be heard as a constituency when, say, you know, a Democrat does take control of something? I mean, does it mm-hmm. does it undermine your core mission of trying to, um, you know, kind of get anything done, really? You know, I, I, I don't think so, because at the end of the day, by all means, we want to be measured in our effectiveness at the state house. Like that, that's that's we, we we definitely want to be effective in in the projects we take on. But for organizations like us, it's the mission that comes first. It's the issues that come first. And so I would rather be wrong on the. I would rather lose a political fight fighting for the dignity of unborn children uh, and and the protection of women than compromise and be able to say we got a bill passed. You know that that's passing legislation is a dime a dozen. It's not, not, not that it's easy, but like that comes and goes, um, you know, these issues protecting life, those types of things, that's what matters most to us. So a lot of, um, I guess you could call them liberal or progressive positions actually really line up with, I think, you know, Christianity and what Christ was teaching and all that, you know, abolishing the death penalty is probably one that most people would agree with, you know, mm-hmm. let you who's without sin cast first stone, all that thing. Um, but even just like taking care of the poor and, you know, welcoming refugees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Why don't we see, um, not necessarily just your organization, but evangelical organizations in general take a lead on any of those sort of things? Well, see, that's where I think um, theology matters uh, because we need to understand uh, God's word in context, which, you know, his, his word to it sort of commandments to us as individuals um, and his word for and how we structure governing authorities. Um, so, I mean, I think you, you see all throughout the Bible, God's chosen governing authorities executing capital punishment. Um, so as as a governing body, as a, a, a state, there's capital punishment there. And I, I mean, we can go through a lot of different examples of that uh, in particular. But even without getting into sure, sort no, of the theology or anything right. like that, like, you know, let's take something simple. I think I think the refugees one is kind mm-hmm. of a pretty clear, you know, Jesus was a refugee. No, right? no. So, so yeah. So, so, so yes, yes, Jesus was a was a refugee. And, and uh, we want to have good policies to, to welcome in uh, the orphan, the widow, the strangers, as the book of James would talk about. But at the same time, the state has 
state has interest in protecting its people and protecting its its borders in this kind of context. So we need to have a wise refugee policy. Uh, so yeah, let's let's bring in refugees, but let's make sure we can vet them. Let's make sure we can uh, we can protect the population that we have and look out for all interests. Again, uh, these are issues that CCP doesn't generally get into, but I think you're you're asking important questions. You know, what is the the most just refugee and immigration policy, both for people here and for the people outside being persecuted. I was I was in Israel about four months ago and, and saw what's going on in Syria, uh, and it's awful. I mean, you, you, you see people getting bombed in their own towns by, by, by their brothers, um, and we need to find places to, to provide refuge for them, both here but also spe- but internationally as well. And so I, I think, I will say, I think you do see some people speaking out on those things that are evangelicals, but... It, those issues I don't feel like are as, as uh, black and white as, as some other ones that we deal with in particular. Hmm. Have you ever read What's the Matter with Kansas? I'm just curious. No. no? Okay. Um, it's a book from about 10, 15 years ago, and it posits this theory that conservative politicians kind of use religious wedge issues to get mm-hmm. elected and then really just kind of ignore them, frankly. Um, I'm wondering, what do you think of that as the head of a religious organization? I mean, do you ever, like, do you ever, when you see a politician maybe get up there and they don't pass the bill that they said, oh, well, we, yeah, we promise we're going to work on something like this. I mean, do you ever, is there ever a sense that your organization feel, like, do you ever feel used, I guess? No, absolutely. Yeah. And John McCain comes to mind, right? I don't remember what he said about the the Christian right in 2008, but then leading up to him running in, or 2004, but in 2008, you know, he goes to Liberty University and kind of does the song and dance and stuff. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the things that troubled me most about this last election cycle was how close I saw evangelicals getting with the Republican Party, um, because the Republican Party has a job to win election and get Republicans elected. Um, and, you know, that that from my perspective, that comes first for both parties. You know, they, they, they talk about their platforms and those things matter. And I'm, I'm glad they you know, I, I, I actually there's a, a lot in the Republican Party platform that I'm very supportive of. But. We cannot be synonymous with the Republican Party. Uh, one, just for the, the the sake of sort of church sanctity, um, but but also two, because we can become political pawns. And when when they know they've got you in the bag, uh, they don't have to listen to you. Uh, and and that's that's a major major issue um, that I, I I see going on. So th- that's something we we push back against all the time. It's it's one of the reasons why we're trying to go through and come up with a, a better endorsement process. And I, I don't know if we're even going to have it up for 2018 for, for the state, because I can send out a voter guide and a, or a, a candidate questionnaire to, to these candidates and they can put on it whatever they want. But I've, I've seen more times where these guys go back on what they say. And for us, that's why it matters so much to have people down at the state house to hold them accountable, to have a big base of support throughout the state, uh, to be able to inform people of what's going on. Um, to hold people accountable because it, it's too easy, um, especially at state level, to, to use and abuse uh, evangelicals or any population that's not really paying attention on the day-to-day basis. Do you think that kind of narrowed focus that you talked about from you know the earlier generations of, say, evangelicals where, yeah, they were only focused on maybe one issue, did that kind of, does it, does that, did that kind of hinder evangelicals as a political force. I mean, when you only have Republicans paying attention to them, you know, the Demo- like I said, the Democrats yeah. didn't come to the forum. They right. kind of wrote it off. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, what, what matters to me is just getting the message right and let people react to it as they will. The, the idea is, you know, at the end of the day, like 
we we had we had a uh, Frank Luntz moderate our our uh, forum, and when Frank left, he he said to me, you know, unions or the Chamber of Commerce or whatever other organizations out there, they'll be able to spend all the money they want in the world to hire all the lobbyists they want out there. Uh, but he said, if if you guys keep getting seven hundred plus people in a church to come and listen to candidates speak, you'll always have a voice down there, and they'll have to listen to you. And and that's that's really what how we want to build this organization is from the ground up because we'll never have the money, you know we we can't play the donation game that that so many other people play down at the state house, um, you know we we've we've got to do it just on pure kind of grit and getting people excited and energized and connected to what's going on at the state house on a day to day basis. So what do you think about the Republican candidate slate this year? You know you had a lot of them in your forum. Yeah. You know whenever that was. Yeah. No, I you know I think uh, it's it's a, a good slate. I, what we're we're back in. Um, I'm back in. Uh, well, our C4 and pack and me personally back in Mary and Nathan, uh, and but I, I keep telling folks it's between uh, good and better. So I got a lot of respect for the Attorney General. Uh, you know he's done some phenomenal things throughout his career. But I just look at uh, who Mary Taylor is and her pick of Nathan Estruth, and that said a lot to us. Um, and we get excited about what they're doing. Uh, so I think we're, we're going to be in good hands no matter what with having at least one candidate on the ballot pro-life that is pro-religious freedom is, is for cool choice. You know, on the on the Democrat side, my 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 new friend Dennis Kucinich, who I just ran into the street. And took yeah, a you selfie. had a selfie with him. Yeah. I took a selfie. That's yeah. like a political bingo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right? <laughs> you, you see Dennis Kucinich on the street, you're not not going to ask him for a selfie. Uh, I don't care who you are, and I, I think I might have freaked him out a little bit because I said I, I walked up to him and I said. Dennis, I'm Aaron Bear. I run Citizens for Community Values. You and I don't agree on anything, but I'd love to get a selfie with you. And I I, I think I kind of overwhelmed him. He's like, oh, oh, okay, sure. So, but anyway, um, you know, he, he used to be pro-life, you know, mm. I, and like I said, Bill O'Neill said they were pro-life. I'd love to see uh, somebody who's pro-life or, or, you know, doesn't not walking the, the hard left line on, on the Democrat side uh, get through because, you know, these issues shouldn't be partisan. What about that Senate race? Uh, you know, the Senate race, um, you know, I, I think I'd, I, I'm a, I'm a big one to, to your point. Uh, and again, these, th- this, my organization hasn't endorsed. Um, but personally I'm a big one on, it, it matters to me that you have a record, uh, that you've, you've done it, uh, and proven where your priorities are. And in that Senate race right now, the, the only candidate that has a, a record of doing anything remotely pro-life, anything remotely on our issues is Jim Renacci. Uh, so, with, with, with that being said, Jim seems like probably the best option there to to actually do something in the uh, if once elected to to advance these issues. Did your group support Donald Trump for president? No, we stayed uh, we we stayed out of. We did not endorse that race. Okay, um, so I do want to ask you as an evangelical though, because mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks we've seen you know kind of his personal life really come into light. Most recent one being his alleged affair with a pornographic actress. And he may have cheated on Melania after the birth of their first child. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen evangelicals really stick by Donald Trump when he hasn't really professed kind of like evangelical values. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. um, you know, why do you, th- why do you think that is? You know, this is, uh, one of my, my big frustrations right now. Um, and, and I, I don't want to ascribe motives to, to a lot of different people, but, uh, a church that has lost its ability to say, Hey, don't cheat on your wife. 
and hey, don't like don't be mean to people and don't attack people needlessly has completely lost its voice. And so, you know, I, I don't think there's people think for some reason that if you criticize the president, uh, that means you, you're not supportive of him in, in the sense of what he's done with the Supreme Courts or what he's done with multiple judicial nominations or, you know, what he did with his pro-life policies, uh, with the Mexico City policy. He's done so much good, what he's doing with education. I mean, he's done so much good. And we can applaud him for that, but that doesn't mean we have to whitewash these character issues. And we, we lose our credibility when we do that. And that's a big frustration for me right now is that I see evangelicals wanting to say, oh, let's, let's, let's give him a pass on this kind of stuff. He's not said he's repentant. He, in fact, said, he explicitly said he doesn't pray for, he hasn't prayed for forgiveness. He needs to pray for forgiveness. He needs to repent if he cheated on his wife, whether it was with a porn star or not. Um, but like those types of things are, they're unbecoming of a man. Let's, let's set aside the fact that he's a president, just of a man. And it, we, we shouldn't, there shouldn't be such a great pause to say something like that. Again, God bless him for picking Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. That is going to change our country for years to come. And God bless him for having Mike Pence there. And God bless him because he's our president. And just like I want God to bless Barack Obama, Vladimir Putin, for that matter. Uh, but uh, we, we shouldn't lose our ability to just say, hey, that's wrong. Don't do that. Do you think there's danger there from uh, just just strictly speaking, taking the politics out? Yeah, no, I, I think there's a... This taps into a bigger danger. I think there's just a danger, big danger in hero worship, um, and and just generally in how how we go about things. We shouldn't be venerating anybody. I, you know, again, I, I I point to Wes Goodman and and Steve Montenegro, two guys who, by all accounts, you know, people on the outside would have been like, oh, these are great guys, and then they fall. Um, and you know, whenever we take the light off of, we as Christians, we take the light off the gospel, take the light off of Jesus Christ, and we put the light on somebody else, we're, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Let's just call balls and strikes with, with this president and praise him and applaud him and, and stand behind him when he does great things that advance liberty and advance the protection of unborn life um, and, and, and those types of issues. And, uh, but when he does something wrong, when he, again, just, just generally mistreats people online on Twitter like say hey that don't do that that's that's something that we is is contrary to what God would have for our lives um, no matter if you're a tough talking businessman or not so yeah. so flipping it around you know you do hear uh, people say things like oh we're not electing Donald Trump to be Pope or I'm not electing him to be my husband or my you know my, my kid or whatever but or electing me president um, mm-hmm. do you think that it's important to maybe be practical and say this is a guy who obviously is politically aligned with with at least uh, believes that it's important to 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 consider evangelicals as part of his uh, coalition of support. No, I mean uh, to to that point, absolutely. This is why I'm saying like when he does good things, let's applaud him and let's let's get support and let's let's engage with him like we do any elected official. But when he we we can't segregate the character from from the individual. We we should be able to look at both because. Again, I think that's how God's word would would have for, would would have for us. And I, I would also say just this this idea that when I see when I hear people say sometimes, you know, we're not electing a pastor in chief, we're electing a commander in chief. Um, so you know, why are we trying to hold them to these standards? Well, last time I checked, God's word didn't just apply to our pastors and to the Pope; it applied to all of us. 
Um, and so we, we should be able to hold ourselves to these standards and some basic standards, like not cheating on your wife and treating people respectfully. And again, I, I should have said this. They're all accusations. It's all allegedly all of those types of things. Um, and I, I want to leave space for that. But what, what, what I'm more frustrated with and what I, what I want to just point out is when I hear people say things like they said in the Roy Moore election where, uh, well, if, even if he was a pedophile, we should vote for him. No, no, we, we shouldn't vote for him if he's a pedophile. So how do you have that conversation when partisanship is just such a strong force in our society? Uh, it takes, it, I, I, I'm going to be honest, it, it takes a lot of courage because you know you're going to upset people that are your friends sometimes. And, and it's something that, that I, I, you know, frankly, I, I do get concerned about because I'm like, I, I know this is going to upset some people. But again, this, this is where I always lean back on my faith. You know, who has true authority in this country? It's not Donald Trump. It's not John Kasich. It's the Lord. Uh, who's my provider? It's not me. It's not the donors that support my organization. It's the Lord. And I'm just going to be faithful and to the best of my ability and uh, trust that uh, he's going to work all things together for his good and mine. So we've kind of talked about some heavy subjects today, <laughs> and we, we normally like to end these on a little bit of a, you know, kind of a lighter note. Uh, you're a big baseball fan, right? Yes. And I believe you're a Cubs fan, too. Huge right? Cubs fan. Huge Cubs oh. fan. Uh, yeah. this, so is a, this is a glorious place to is, be right this here. Is the, this is the happened. one time where Andrew's going to be outnumbered here, because this is the only time, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. I was actually a Cubs bat boy, so... Um, I get your autograph yeah, now, right? Well, it was, just, it was just a one-day <laughs> thing, but I'm curious, how do you think, where, where do you see the Cubs doing this year, and... How do you think the MLB season is going to shake out? Coming into this season, I think the Cubs have the most complete lineup they've ever had. Uh, I could see this lineup right now as it is, you know, without injuries, could could carry us all the way to, to the title. And hopefully, I love that series against the Tribe. I'd love to see a, another rematch there. I've said that the entire time I've lived here. Like, as a Cubs fan, you yeah. get to a point where it's like, oh, they're gonna always, they always screw it up. They screw it up every time. And they got to that point, and I was like, well, you know, even if they screw it up, like, Cleveland's a cool town. This was before Seriously? I lived in Cleveland. Yeah. It was like Cleveland's a cool town. Like, yeah. So you know, it's kind of a you know a win and less of a win, but you know, it's still a win-win because it's not the Yankees or the Cardinals winning. Exactly. You know, it, it's not some heathen baseball team that is a you know awful people that run the organizations. No, I would have loved to see. The, the, I still would love to see the tribe uh, win it. But uh, no, I'm, I feel real good about this Cubs team this year. And again, like what's great about how they built this team is that it's so much youth, and so just every year they get better. Um, just by the guys becoming more experienced and, and, you know, they've had so much, they had more postseason experience than your average team their age. So, uh, I'm feeling really good about it. Real quick. Give me your top three Cubs, top three Cubs of all time. Uh, I'm still, I know it's a difficult, um, relationship still, but Sammy Sosa will always have a special place in my heart. Um, Ron Santo, my mom loved Ron Santo. She, she had a, uh, Ron Santo Jersey and, um, I used to steal it and wear it to school because I thought it was the coolest thing. And then I want to pick a guy from the, the team today just because that team was so special. I love Rizzo. Uh, I love Wilson Contreras. So I, I, I'll, I'll go with Rizzo because he was the captain of the team. Um, but but that, that's a kind of a good mix of them. Fair enough. I'm just going to smile and listen to you guys talk about it. That's, that's <laughs> totally fine. Whatever. Yeah. All right, Aaron. Hey, thank you so much for joining us here. We really appreciated it. Thanks, guys.